Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News Travel Editor Peter Greenberg, presented by Clear. Enroll today at clearme.com slash Peter and try Clear at the busiest airports nationwide. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here and welcome to another Ion Travel Podcast. This week, we're in Greece, on board the brand new Silver Sea cruise ship, the Silver Moon, on her inaugural voyage with American passengers. I had the opportunity to sit down with the Minister of Tourism of Greece, Harry Theo Harris, for a full update on the travel situation in that country. Remember, one of the first countries to open to American travelers was Greece back in May. And then, my extended conversation with the Chairman and CEO of the Royal Caribbean Group, Richard Fain for a full update on the cruise ship industry, the battle over vaccination requirements, and where he's sailing, and why. First up, my talk with Harry Theo Harris, the Minister of Tourism of Greece. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side, you know, the side your mom gave you, and shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. I mentioned we're in Greece, and it's very appropriate for me to welcome our next guest because, in fact, our first guest, because Greece was really the first country that opened its doors to Americans back in May, more than two months ago. And that didn't mean just air travelers, it meant cruise ship travelers. And uh, that's a big deal. So joining me now to talk about that and what it means for the rest of the world, the Minister of Tourism of Greece, Harry Theo Harris. Minister Theo Harris, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Consider the fact that you're joining us on a ship 
uh, Silver Sea, Silver Moon, uh, a brand new ship, but significant in that it's a ship with Americans cruising through Greece. Yes, you're right. The significance of uh, restarting of cruising, an industry that was particularly hard hit during this pandemic, is very, very important, both symbolically, but also really, it it seems trust is returning. So it's it's good for everyone overall. And what did you do to allow this to happen? Because we're still going through a lot of stuff in the United States, particularly in the state of Florida, the state of Texas, about mandated for vaccines or not, who can cruise, who can't. That's not an issue here because you have other rules. Yes, we worked very, very uh, closely, but very hard as well with our health experts to create those protocols for the whole of the cruising industry, not just for Greece and not just even for Europe, but uh, globally as well. We've also kept an open mind. We we tried uh, many things. We did a lot of research in terms of vaccinated people, non-vaccinated, the mask wearing, etc., etc. What did that tell you? Well, it told us that um, we can, if the ship is... Uh, uh, close to fully vaccinated, you can never be 100%. If the ship is close to fully vaccinated, then you can allow um, not wearing of masks uh, aboard the ship. So so those kind of rules, we had to work very closely, as I said, with our researchers, our doctors, our health experts. Uh, but at the same time, we, we um, imposed them uh, and with great, great results up to now. And of course, it wasn't just the ships, it was the ports. You had to deal with each individual island and it's on its own terms. We had to categorize each and every port to see the kind of role it will play both in good times and in bad times. What happens when you have a, a, a case aboard the ship? Uh, when do you offload it? Which port? What kind of facilities does the port have to have in order to deal with such an eventuality? And I'm guessing initially the answer was nobody had it. No, nobody. Of course, nobody had it. But we had to, as I said, categorize, uh, impose specific rules, not just for the ships, but for the ports as well, and then implement those rules because ports, uh, by and large, they are uh, governed by, by the, the government, they're a public entity. So, so we had to ensure that those things were in place in time. And you built those physical structures. We built the structures, but more, more importantly, we built the procedures. We built the kind of officers and the kind of uh, people responsible for handling each and every eventuality and what happens at, at uh, every step of the way. So, uh, as I said, the important thing was to, to uh, imagine the situation and then implement the kind of uh, imaginary procedures, drill them, you know, test them and ensure that everything is in place. Now, for example, we're in Piraeus today, the port of Athens. Before I could get on the ship, I had to get tested. That was a rapid test, but I still had to do that over and above having a vaccination card from the United States or even having taken a PCR test to get here in the first place. I was very, very glad that they made no exceptions for ministers as well. So I had to get tested uh, as well. That means that the uh, cruise industry is taking this very, very seriously. And to be fair, I feel very, very confident and very, very safe when uh, a cruise company is implementing those rules because those rules are being implement implemented strictly with no exceptions. And that makes me feel safe when I'm next to someone that I don't know. You were one of the first countries to publicly say we're opening back in May, right? And everybody else said, oh, you're jumping the gun. It's too soon. You were even in a lockdown situation then in Greece at that point, right? There was a curfew. You're right. Um, we started in January um, creating the plan, uh, urging everybody else to work with us in order to create the international COVID certificates that will be required for traveling. Then as we implemented the plans, we were confident enough in the beginning of March to say that we will open in mid-May. And of course, we will still, as you rightly say, in curfew. As a result, we had to 
create a whole reopening plan from 9th of March until the 14th of May, both internally and externally, in order to ensure that we were uh, at the point where we could uh, accept visitors. And what was the biggest challenge to do that? Coordination. There's too many agencies, too many um, issues. Too many cooks in the kitchen. You're right. And at the same time, a lot of fear. Um, this, you know, um, the good thing was that this was the second year of the pandemic. So we had a lot of knowledge. Doctors knew more. Uh, it wasn't like last year. Last year was much more difficult in terms of the insecurity that our health experts uh, felt making decisions. But this year, we capitalized on the new tools as well. We capitalized on vaccinations. We capitalized on rapid tests. This allowed, uh, like the process we felt today, the rapid test process, to allow boarding in an efficient manner. Of course, I like to say the worst four-letter word in travel that starts with F is fear. And you still have to mitigate that. That hasn't gone away. No, it hasn't. But uh, we're actually taking fear and converting it into care. Uh, we we have to, to make something good out of this. And the good thing is that we, we feel that caring, which is the heart, the core of the t- traveling and touristic experience, and normally caring is about, you know, a cold drink on a hot summer day or a pillow behind the, in, in your back uh, when you're sitting. Now it's a lot about caring about your health. So it's, it's implementing those protocols with no exceptions, with no cutting corners, because I care uh, for, for your health. So this is, I think, the core of the message that we're trying to convey. You know, it's interesting when I see what other countries are doing. And the problem is everybody's acting solo, right? There's not a lot of coordination. Italy now has a pass that you, if you get the pass, you can go to museums and restaurants. France is thinking about that. Is that the kind of pass that you're thinking about? Well, we're doing something similar for mass um, events, uh, uh, concerts, concerts and, uh, um, uh, and also the indoor uh, activities uh, in the bars or even the restaurants. So we're, we have this for, for uh, the places where it's actually very um, easy to contract the, the disease. Uh, but we don't have it for every, everyday uh, life, you know, to go to the beach, to be outdoors, to eat outdoors at the restaurant. And there are many, many places in Greece that you, you can eat outdoors. So, so we, we implement a mixing approach in order to ensure that we, um, um, we, have, uh, we preserve the core of the experience. You just had a situation in Mykonos, right, where you, where you stopped the music. Yes. You're right. We're not afraid to take difficult, uh, in economic terms, decisions if we are to protect the health of our visitors, but of our citizens as well. Mykonos was a special case. There was a lot of, uh, um, you know, partying and, and fun on one side, but on the other side, there's, uh, there was a bit of letting down of the rules. We wanted to send the message that uh, the, the kind of vigilance on the protocols and on the rules uh, will not be compromised during the summer. And of course, it's all about communicating to your counterparts in other countries, because it's one thing for an American, let's say, to come to Greece. But now if that same American wants to do what the Americans used to do all the time and, and basically boots, bootstrap that with another country, all of a sudden we're dealing with different rules all the time. Yes, unfortunately, there's a lot of uh, fragmentation and we haven't reached the point of maturity yet where this fragmentation um, coalesces to something uh, simpler. 
for the average traveler. The good thing is that Europe has some kind of uh, continuity, some kind of uh, rules, but not everything is on par in terms of uh, how things are being implemented. Um, this is something we have to uh, live with. Uh, we are now moving uh, to a different phase of the of the disease. You know, there's a lot of uh, cases in the fourth wave, but not a lot of hospitalizations. Um, this is more and more the disease of the unvaccinated and of the young people. So we need to see how this um, changes things and how what we have to change in, in our attitude. Have the vaccines essentially taken death off the table? Uh, more or less. Um, the vaccines have uh, provided the option to take the death off the table, but we still have a lot of people refusing to get vaccinated or being skeptical about it or just not, um, um, you know, they, they let it for, for a, a bit of later on because it doesn't suit their, their calendar or whatever it is. Um, I think the message to those people is that you're only harming yourselves. Uh, this is not anymore a social issue because your guy next to you has the option to get vaccinated as well. So it's every man for himself. Um, so we would urge everyone to um, get vaccinated because um, this disease spreads so quickly that it will not stop until it reaches you. You know, it's interesting. On this particular ship, uh, you can't be on this ship unless you're fully vaccinated. That, that applies to the officers, the crew and the passengers. Does that apply to all the cruise ships in, in Greece? Uh, no, it's it's not a rule that they um, all the passengers have to be vaccinated. But if um, um, cruise ships uh, choose to do so, then this is allowed by the rules. Uh, but we do allow a mixed um, um, shipping with stricter rules than the ones that uh, you know uh, fully vaccinated uh, cruising uh, has. Yeah, because in the United States, uh, Carnival and Royal Caribbean, which is the parent corporation of this line, basically says, "Oh yeah, if you want to take a cruise and you're not vaccinated." You got to provide proof that you're carrying ten thousand dollars worth of medical insurance and thirty thousand dollars worth of medical evacuation and repatriation coverage. They're basically saying you get sick, you're paying for it. Well, um, this is not what we are saying. Uh, both for uh, passengers in cruise ships and uh, tourists in general, we're saying that our health system is a strong system, uh, certainly much stronger bef than before the pandemic, and we are confident that we will cover any eventuality if you need any hospitalization as far as COVID is concerned. So we are providing free of charge um, uh, COVID coverage within Greece through the national health system. So, so this is uh, our guarantee, if you like, our pledge uh, to the customer. Because so many uh, travelers may not be talking about this, but they're thinking about it, right? I don't, as much as I want to go to Greece or anywhere else for that matter, I don't want to get somewhere and not be able to get home because something happens, I get stuck. Yes, yeah, you're right. We're also providing uh, accommodation free of charge if people are found positive, whether that's coming into Greece or going out because they have to be tested before they go back to the home country. So, so all in all, we we provide the basic, uh, the basis, if you like, to to, to make a decision to come to Greece, um, ensuring that when if the uh, thing turns uh, sour because of a, a COVID um, um, disease, that uh, they have nothing to fear. You know, there's the big R word, reciprocity. Yes. Right? Right now, uh, most of your fellow countrymen and countrywomen can't go to the United States, right? We have not relaxed those restrictions. Yes. So it's been a one-way street here. 
Yes, and it's remarkable that we have uh, nine daily flights plus the Emirates one, 10 daily flights uh, from the US to Greece uh, being supported only by the one-way tickets and of course the return tickets when the vacation finishes. Uh, so uh, we feel- but that's not sustainable. It's not. That's why we feel that uh, this is a welcome decision. Uh, this decision uh, made no sense before. Uh, you had third countries in a worse epidemiological position being allowed to go to the US, but not Schengen countries. So this, this did not make uh, much sense. It was more based on politics. So we're still waiting for that, that decision. Yes, we're still waiting for that. And we're hoping that this is close by. President Biden alluded to, to the um, process being in, in the pipeline. He so did, and then it got shut down. Well, we have we have to wait and see. I hope I hope that uh, this decision will come uh, because it makes, as I said, no um, health uh, sense. It's only political, as far as I can see. Well, speaking of politics, just two days ago, uh, the United Kingdom announced that if you were fully vaccinated, you can now go to the United Kingdom without being vaccinated, without being quarantined. Yes, I think this is a, a sound decision. Um, it made no sense uh, to, to not allow vaccinated people um, uh, freedom of movement. You know, it also dilutes the message that we want to send to our people that if you get vaccinated, you will return back to normality. So please do not stay unvaccinated. So so if you want to push people to get vaccinated, then why do you restrict them still? You're also saying maybe that it's in the back of your mind that there's still something wrong with vaccines. They still do not allow you to go back to full normality. So I think this is the right decision. Uh, certainly it will go a long way to uh, restoring normality for, the, for those people. And as we navigate these still uncharted waters, is there ever going to be a vaccine passport? Well, we do have these uh, certificates, uh, which are not just vaccine, the, the recovery as well, certificates and negative, negative test Is that EU or Greece? Well, both. Uh, we implemented it, first country, but we also pushed the other countries to work with us and create an EU uh, green, digital green uh, certificate. And uh, I'm very glad to say that in record time, co compared to Brussels, uh, in record time, we're ready, uh, ready to, with this uh, implemented. And as you begin to reach out, and as Americans begin to flood the zone, Americans, you know they're coming. Yes. We're here. Yes. Um, Welcome. Sure. <laughs> but I, at the same time, you know, we were just at a hotel in Athens that was running 70 to 80 percent occupancy, and it was a majority of Americans. Yes. It, that had not happened in 17 months. No. It, it, and I'm, I'm very, very sad that we couldn't, couldn't implement it uh, earlier, but... Uh, better, uh, you know, late than never, um, in the sense that um, we feel that uh, the relationships with the airlines, with the cruise lines, with the, the um, operators of tourism um, is now much, much uh, stronger because we have worked together. We're um, fixing problems together. We're flagging problems to each other to ensure that uh, we keep everyone on um, uh, all the procedures in place in the right way. So I think uh, the fact that we are managing to find success now during this time uh, bodes well for, uh, for the future. Now, of course, in the past, uh, traditional success was defined by numbers, right? numbers of visitors, average number of stay, how much they're going to spend per day, et cetera, et cetera. That's out the window now, right? Yes, it is out the window. Well, at least for some people that um, um, feel that this is not the, the number one priority. And certainly it's the quality I'm one of them. Yes, it is a quality because the quality now is about the health. This is not about whether the, the, the drink is the right one and the mixing uh, was done in the right way. This is about your health.
my thanks to Minister Theo Harris. Richard Fain has been at the helm of Royal Caribbean for nearly 33 years. That's longer than any other cruise industry executive ever. And for the past 17 months, he's had to navigate in some very rough and uncharted waters. I talked to Fain about the challenges, the rules, the changing infrastructure, design and protocols, the risks, and whether as well as how cruising is recovering. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Let's go back 18 months ago. You were coming off a great year, 2019. Industry poised for even more growth. New ships coming out of the shipyards at an unprecedented rate. Not just you, but every other company. Nothing prepared you for this, did it? No, nothing in my life or my career has prepared me for this or any of us. It's been just devastating. And as you point out, we started on such a high note. And to go from that wonderful plateau to where we are today uh, is um is very disappointing, not only for us in the industry, but so many people suffered. Obviously, we tend to be focused on what we do day to day, but the suffering has been horrific across the board. And the U.S. and Europe have come out relatively well, but you look at some of these other places and it's just heartbreaking. You know, people forget the process that goes into any corporation or company. You know, you ask kids where food comes from, they tell you the store, that's not really the case. So when a cruise line basically stops operations in a situation like this, it's not just the employees, it's not just the staff, it's not just the passengers, it's the people who drive buses, it's the people who catch the fish that, that, that end up getting served at dinner. I mean, nobody really understood all the connectivity until this happened. Um, the, the impact has just been across the board to so many people. And, and actually, we, we rely on a lot of small businesses, travel advisors, uh, stevedores, uh, as you say, bus drivers, um, and all of them, the knock-on effect is terrible, and the knock-on effect from them. And so the devastation across the board has just been, just been heart-wrenching to so many people. And have you ever been able to put a number on it? Um, well, the industry has measured that just in the United States, uh, the cruise industry is responsible for 740,000 American jobs. But internationally, it's, it's obviously even greater. And I don't know that that measures the full extent. You know, I've been to your offices, and like many corporations, you have a crisis center. You have a command center. You've got contingency plans. I've seen all the loose leaf notebooks of what to do if. You didn't have one for this. Um, and you know, I, I went to a business school, actually a fairly decent business school, and they just didn't have a course in how to manage a corporation with zero revenue. Um, there was nobody ever imagined something of this, of severity. And uh, we just weren't prepared for it. We had to do make up the rules as we went along. Um, we also found that nobody else had either. So the governments did not have plans for things like this. The health authorities, the, um, the, the people, our partners didn't. So we all had to work together. The one thing that was actually encouraging coming out of this was how much people did work together. Um, I was, I'm, I'm so impressed. I'm so 
grateful to the effort that our people went through, the endless nights, the endless days of trying to figure out ways through this thicket. And uh, the result is that we've come through uh, as a company, as an industry, um, and not only when I say as an industry, not only the cruise lines, but all the other people that rely on us, the travel advisors, the, the, the services, uh, the farmers, everybody has come through shockingly well, uh, given the horrificness of the, of the circumstance. But we do have to recover now because we can't keep going like this. Yeah, but the optics going back to day one were that was that nobody really was working together. That was what everybody was thinking. Nobody was working together. You were almost operating across purposes. Well, there was huge confusion. No, there isn't any crisis. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of uh, really strange things happening. I mean, if you go back, um, the CDC was recommending that we not wear face masks. The, uh, uh, the number of testing in the United States was a few dozen testing a day, whereas um, today we're doing a million, two million, three million a day. Um, it was, we were totally unprepared. Um, we, the thought was, if you have a case on board, isolate the whole ship and keep everybody together. I mean, so many of these things, when you look back, are saying, well, it's exactly the opposite of what we should have done, but we've learned. We, we put our heads together, and while it may have seemed disjointed, and obviously it had to be, uh, especially because we're all working from isolated circumstances, gradually the science came to the fore and the science guided us. The science didn't answer the question, but it guided us through the th thicket. It provided the background. Of course, I remember the optics, as do so many others, your, your passengers and the passengers of other cruise lines, a ship being quarantined in Yokohama, other ships being unable to come to, to a dock who had either sick or dying passengers. And those are such indelible images that are still being thought of today. I mean, you've got your work cut out for you in terms of turning the public around. Well, and it's, it, it is a 180 degree shift because 18 months ago, 17 months ago, we really, we as an industry, the cruise industry, was the poster child of what could go wrong or what the risks were. At least that was the perception, if not the reality. And what we set out to do was say, wait a minute, all the things that people are criticizing as potential risk factors can really be advantages. The cruise industry can not only do as well as others, can not only overcome the problems, but it can, it can set an example. It can be the one that shows how this can be done right. And so we've gone from uh, the cruise industry being one of the most dangerous things you can do in people's perceptions to today, the fact is that cruising can be one of the safest places to be. So you did follow the science. There are so many things you were in compliance with along the way, a lot of it recommended by the CDC, but it, it was not just uh, procedural changes, it was design changes. It was, I mean, literally installation of different equipment. Well, we assembled a healthy sail panel along with Norwegian Cruise Line. Which is an un unusual situation because you partnered with a competitor. We partnered with a competitor and one whose thought process was different than our own, but we had the same objective. We wanted to make cruising safer than a land-based vacation. and so. We worked together. We assembled a team of, I mean, talk about superstars. We had the previous head of the Health and Human Services, ex-CDC director, previous head of FDA. We had engineers. We had scientists, epidemiologists, virologists. Um, we had so many ists, I don't even know how to pronounce them all. And they were, in each case, they were the tops of their field, and they worked together. They thought this was extraordinary because we work together in a way to be successful and they put a, 
a degree of effort into it that I was absolutely shocked about. And so, and they gave us guidance on how to change the air filtration system, how to change the medical center. I mean, very, very detailed oriented, very progressive thought processes. So some of them were serious physical changes. Some of them were serious physical. So we changed uh, the, in the air conditioning system, significant changes to filtration to prevent any transmission. Um, wonderful jobs they did uh, with the, the medical center, how we could make that better and more effective. Um, so all of the kinds of things, um, how, how we, we clean things, et cetera. So, um, and we started from a high, very high standard. You know, the cruise industry had the, the highest cleanliness standards of any place you can think of. And we, um, and we said, well, how do we take it to one, one step above that? So it was a very positive process and it was a collaborative process. And I think that's one of the problems at the beginning. In the beginning, people, scientists were acting uh, on their own and in individual ideas. And gradually we got people to come together and say, how does this work in practice? You got consensus. Uh, I won't say we've gotten as far as consensus, but on most of the science, yes. And most of the science, we were able to get a consensus that this actually is a better way of doing things. Of course, you're dealing at, at almost at a simultaneous time with public health, ideology, common sense, and economics. And a plethora of countries, each of whom had its own perspective on what way it wanted to approach it. And which remains today. Which remains today. And probably one of the biggest uh, divisions you have is in the early days of the pandemic, m some countries, particularly in Asia, took the approach of isolation as a solution. And other countries said um, vaccines are going to be key. And what you're seeing, isolation is, of course, an ultimate way of doing it, but it's not viable for long term um, in a free society. It's not even viable in a police state for a very long time. So the countries that relied on... You're talking about Australia and New Zealand. Uh, among others. Um, not only that, also in Northern Asia and in China and in Singapore and other countries you see isolation. Japan has tried that. Um, but in the long term, in order to have a free society, we're going to have to rely on another way of preventing it. And that way is becoming the combination of the vaccines and testing. And I think the cruise industry model is going to be a model that others will copy and become really an exemplar of how to deal with something like this. I'm sure you've heard these three words countless times and it angers you every time you hear them floating petri dish. Well, as I said, we relied on the science, uh, and not on the semantics, but that's exactly what some people said in an early day. Maybe in the early days, particularly when people said, if there's a case, keep everybody together. Well, actually, if the, the beauty of the solution that the cruise industry came up with was if there's a case, isolate that case. Identify those, con those close contacts. Don't combine them. And if you do that, what you end up with is the situation we have today where we have a bubble where everybody inside the bubble is safe and if in the rare case somebody comes in to the bubble with the disease they don't spread it so we can take the r naught of the of the cruise ship from a very high level to an infinitely small level and so if there's a case it doesn't spread very well and that's the 
ultimate goal of epidemiologists and infectious disease specialists and virologists is is keep that R naught down, keep the spreading down. I was on board the premier cruise of the millennium uh, from St. Martin. I got off in Barbados, and that was a very good example of what you just talked about, where there was one or two cases. They identified them quickly. They isolated them. They were able to do contact tracing, and there was no spread. That was one of the very first cases in, in um, the Americas, and we had it was actually two people came down with it. Their, con their close contacts were all tested. They tested negative. They were flown home. Uh, People got to fly home privately because we really took good care of them. Um, so you get is that part of your brochure now? <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. Uh, but we we have so few cases that we can afford to handle them with uh, extra care and take special care of them, and that was the objective. But as you say, two people had it; they had been vaccinated and they had been tested. But it's not a hundred percent perfect. But what is perfect is the ability to then isolate them prevent big outbreak and um, get them home quickly. You know, we talked about all the connectivity and the economic chain of supporting the cruise industry. And an overwhelming amount of your distribution comes from travel agents, travel advisors. And they got hit hard. Not only were they spending an ordinary amount of time advocating for their for their clients just to try to get their money back, but they were receiving no income during that entire period of time. They weren't part of the, the government bailout program. They weren't on anybody's list. And you guys stepped up to the plate very early on and said, you know what, we're going to provide financial assistance if necessary to those travel agents. Well, the travel advisors have been key to our success as a company and as an industry for 50 years. Um, and it's um, part of your business model. It's, it's a huge part of our business model, and it's it's both a question we we needed them to survive not only because it's the right thing to do to thank them for what they've done for so long, but we need them to be successful as we're going forward. Uh, and so, um, so you provided financial assistance. So we we did the, we paid the commissions. We ended up in some cases ending up effectively paying double commissions. Um, and um, we did put in place a loan program for um, to be of some help. Um, our help was small in the total of the need. You know, the, the suffering that they've gone through, the effort that they went through, they had to keep their businesses afloat. They had to keep the relationships with their, their uh, clients. It was a huge task. And I'm just so impressed that while there was suffering from, from all of them, the travel advisor community has come through remarkably well under the circumstances. And thank goodness they're still supporting us. And let me remind them, if they're listening to this, um, that there's lots more to come and we need this support in the future more than ever. Back in 2018, you had something like 49 ships. Now you've got over 63. Uh, other other companies have retired ships. You have more on the way. Do you have any issues about filling those cabins? Uh, I have no concern. Uh, we have grown during this period. I think it's actually a little slower than we originally expected because we have disposed of some vessels and um, we slowed down the construction process. But overall, I think the demand is absolutely enormous. People people are tired of being locked up in their homes. They want to get out. They want to go to new places. Uh, and, and we're there for it. So 2020 and 2021 are years I would like to forget about. Uh, 2022, we'll still have some of the reverberations from that. But already, we're seeing a very strong demand, pent-up demand. And I think 2023 is really going to be a gangbuster year. I mean, we're doing this interview on board the Silver Sea Silver moon one of your newest ships your newest ship actually and they put on their 2022 and 2023 uh, world cruise it like sold out 
Wow, you know, it, it's just and that's a, not an inexpensive ticket. <laughs> Uh, and and a huge deposit, um, so it's amazing to see the demand for the New World Cruise, but also for all of our cruises. Once once we've gotten through this, and people see that it's actually starting. Now there's still a bit of a fog about how many ships are starting and when they're going to start. So there's still a little confusion out there. We think that it's important to start the flywheel to show that it's there, and so that cruising simply comes back into the habit of being normal and people aren't saying well are they going to be sailing and will that be happening um, but uh, this is this is my first naming ceremony since uh, the crisis started uh, and one of the things we're celebrating is the forward bookings for for silver sea uh, over this period you know it's interesting when you think about the cruise industry being uniquely positioned whereas other industries weren't in that in right after 2001 9 11 uh, you were the uniquely positioned to literally move your assets. Uh, nobody wanted to fly over a body of water after 9-11. So you literally repositioned your ships back to U.S. ports. Hotels couldn't do that, right? You're in a situation now where you're now repositioning ships to St. Martin, uh, to Greece, uh, to other locations where you have those opportunities where, where, the, where the environment is welcoming to you. I'm assuming you're now looking at ports that you never would have gone to before that are now open to you. You know, it's funny you say that because you, when you have to do things, sometimes you say, oh my God, why didn't we think of that before? And so Newports is one example of that. My thanks to Richard Fain, to Minister Theo Harris, and my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, just log on to petergreenberg.com. Special thanks to our sponsors at Clear. Enroll in Clear at clearme.com slash Peter and zip through busy airports nationwide. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Are you ready for an all-new season of Survivor? You better be because Survivor 46 is here and it's 90 minutes of twists and turns you don't want to miss. Better yet, after each episode, there's a brand new episode of On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. Each week, we go behind the scenes of the episode's biggest moments, taking you into the how and the why things happened. And this season, we're very lucky to be joined by an expert, the winner of Survivor 45, Devaya Daris. What is up? I'm thrilled to be joining this team and to be giving you my take on how and the why players made the moves they did, what it takes to outwit, outplay, and outlast, and to ask Jeff some questions because... Even after 26 days out there, there is still a lot for me to uncover. Bring it, D. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. 
It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money, and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.